On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we will talk about Hamilton's ridiculous housing market. Everywhere else, it seems it's cooled off, except here, where our housing market is continuing to get hotter and hotter and more and more expensive. We're going to chat about tax cuts. Should we be cutting taxes, even if it means cutting services? Big difference of opinion on that. And the owner of the Hamilton Steelhawks and the Dundas Real McCoys are in studio to offer a hockey announcement you're going to want to hear. Stick around for this. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Probably the least newsy thing I could tell you right now is that Hamilton housing prices have been rising crazily over the last number of years and have become bonkers. Here's the thing, though. It keeps going. It keeps getting zanier. Prices in the first quarter of this year rose by 6.3%. That's that's a pace for those non-mathematicians out there like me. That, that would mean that at this rate, your house will go up by a quarter of its value again in the span of just one year. It's a nutty, nutty number. And what makes this even more noteworthy and what makes this really stand out is that, as you know, governments have done things, have tried to come up with ways to cool the market a little bit, to try and keep housing so some people can afford it. And it's worked in a lot of different places. It's taken some effect in a lot of different places. Not here, seemingly. We seem to be immune to whatever it is that any government is going to want to put in to try and slow this thing down because we were up 6.3%. The national average was a 2.7% increase. We are more than double the national average when it comes to increases in housing prices. Let me bring in Rob Golfie. You know him from his signs around town. You know him from his show here on CHML every Saturday morning with Rick Zamprin. You know him probably from 12 other reasons, but uh, he is a real estate agent in town. He joins us now. Rob, how are you today? Good, thanks, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate the time. When does this end here in Hamilton? When when does it get to the point when it actually cools down? It won't end. We, we, we had a little cool down probably at the end of 2017, and it, it'll, it'll continue to go. We're, we're, sit, we're positioned perfectly in the uh, Golden Horseshoe, uh, being you know 45-minute drive on a good day to Toronto, and uh, it, it, won't, it won't end, Scott. It's just going to continue. How long have you been doing this job now? How long have you been selling real estate? Oh, just over 20 years. All right. Was yeah. there ever yeah. a day when you were starting into this career that you would have bet your house or any amount of money that the average two-story housing price in this city would be $593,000? Well, Scott, I remember when I bought uh, my two-story home years ago for 450000 and I was sweating. And now I can't believe, I can't believe like uh, our average sale price right now. It's just incredible. And, and I know our average uh, income for household income hasn't increased as much as, as the house prices have. But with the amount of uh, immigrants coming into Canada every year, I think it's about 300000 and they're coming in with money, so they're buying. They're, they, that's the first thing they're doing is looking for a house to buy. And uh, it, as long as that keeps going, it's going to continue. Well, some, and that's really the problem, isn't it, Rob? Is, is those who do come here with money are able to buy those houses. Those who come here with no money, the housing market is way, way, way a million times out of their range. It is, but they're, they're working hard. Um, like, for instance, uh, the uh, refugees that came in from, uh, is it uh, Syrian, the yep, Syrian yep. refugees, they are, uh, they are saving their money. And, and, and the reason why I know this is I have one that's a tenant of mine, and they're ready to buy. And they've been renting for me for about 18 months now. And uh, they are saving money like you would not believe, and they're ready to, to buy a house. And uh, so you're going to get the, you know, the, the ones that don't have money, they're going to work twice as hard to save money. And then the ones that do have money, they're, they're buying. So, and then you got, and then we got the local people that, you know, they're born and raised in Canada um, and they're working hard uh, to have home ownership. It's, it's just become a big thing. And uh, um, it's, it's, it's important to, uh, for, you know, Canadians to own a house. But it also just, when you talk about both sides of this or all sides of this, it's just adding to the level of competition for whatever houses are out there. It is. It is. Just to give you a little bit of uh, insight, in Hamilton, uh, 26% of the homes that were sold between January 1st and the end of March were sold for full price or more. 
26% of the homes. So there was, uh, so in, but in Burlington, the, uh, from January to the end of March, 28% of the homes sold for full price or more. So, so, I mean, and, and these houses aren't being, um, you know, like two years ago, everybody was holding offers, you know, say, Hey, house is listed on Monday. We're not taking offers till Thursday. A, a lot of that's not happening. A lot of it's just, there's just a lot of buyers out there. The confidence is back. They're coming back, uh, looking at houses and, and Burlington's actually picked up the pace a lot this year compared to the last year. Last year, they, they, uh, they were down quite a bit in uh, a number of units and, even in uh, the average sale, their average sale price in Burlington was kind of flatlining a bit. That it wasn't going up, but uh, but the confidence is back out there. We're right in the midst of the spring market. Um, you know, there's a lot of good deals out there still uh, for the sellers. They're they're going to do well if they price it right. If they overprice it, it will sit. You know, there's a lot of good things going on out there. I, I'll tell you, I, we got to take a break in a second here. But I was sent a YouTube video a little while back, and it was for a real estate agent from a who was selling homes in Las Vegas, and these were unbelievable luxurious mansions in Vegas with the flat top roof that had the sitting area up top with the barbecue. The, the whole thing was just they were gorgeous, and they were four hundred thousand dollars. And I, I look at this and I'm thinking that's a home in a, almost a fixer-upper now in Hamilton. It just shows how completely out of whack compared to the rest of the world our housing prices are here in the city. It's just, it's oh, stunning. Oh, no kidding. Oh, I know. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show. Talking about going home for some rest, although some people can't afford to get a home because here's the thing, as we were talking before the break, Hamilton's home prices have risen at a level that is more than double the national average in the first quarter of this year. And that is not unusual. This is what's been happening. It makes this a very, very difficult market. Rob Golfe is joining us. Rob is a real, local real estate agent. You know him from there. You also know him from his show here on 900 CHML every Saturday at nine with Rick Zamprin. And Rob, I have got to think that there are a bunch of people who, when the housing market really started to take off four, five, six years ago, maybe more than that, they waited on the sidelines, figuring that eventually it was going to cool off a bit and some houses would go down a little bit, maybe regress, and they'd be able to jump in at that point. You're saying that's not going to happen, that those people who have been sitting on the sidelines have actually watched this thing pass them by? Absolutely. Um, I, you know what? And you're right. A lot of people were sitting back. And Scott, I'll tell you, like in the last 70 years, I did a study on, on the housing prices in the Hamilton, Burlington uh, area. We've experienced six recessions. The only recession when house prices went down was the early 90s. So um, we're not going to see house prices going down. Uh, we're, they're just going to continue climbing, and it, it'll be different percentages. Sometimes they'll flatline some years, but the market will continue to rise so, I mean, if you're looking at buying a house, you, you can't go wrong by owning real estate. You will always do well, and you stop the inflation as soon as you own a house. But, uh, but like I said, uh, the only time that uh, value's gone down were the early 90s. In, ni- in 1980, interest rates were 18%, and house prices still climbed. Uh, so, you know, you, you just in, in 2008, I mean, less houses sold, but the house prices they, they stabilized and they were still strong. They were still going. This so. does raise an interesting situation, though, because once upon a time in past generations, if a parent of someone passed away, generally the person would put that house on the market and take the money and split it with their other siblings or whatever else and move on because they already had their own home. Are we still seeing that happening? Or if a parent dies these days, are a lot of people just moving into the home because that's the only house they can afford or get? Well, right now, the, the biggest transfer of wealth is happening uh, with, with a lot of the baby boomers uh, uh, passing away. And um, so, the, so the, the transfer of wealth is, is being passed down. And they are you know, either upgrading their house or moving into the, to the house that they had. Um, but there is, uh, there is an abundance of money out there right now. And that could be another part of, a, of the you know, increase of uh, value of, of homes going up. Well, is there an abundance of money or is there an abundance of debt? Both. <laughs> There's both. There is an abundance of debt. Money is cheap right now. Interest rates are, are uh, going back down. and uh, But there is uh, a lot of money out there. And uh, uh, everybody's working. Uh, it, you know, the economy's been doing good. And, you know, there hasn't been any 
major recession that that that's affected a lot of people. I mean, if you lose a job, people, you know, if they work hard enough, they can find another job. Um, and think, things are moving moving really well, and, and you know, let's cross our fingers and they continue that way. The one area in this city that has not gone through the roof. Uh, the prices are high, but percentage-wise has not kept up with housing is condos. Uh, the condo increases was 1.2% this quarter, which is still going up, and the average condo price is still almost $332,000. But is that the future in this city? For people who come here now, is that where the market is going to go just because they are being built and you can always build up, you can't always build out? Yes. Uh, the condo market, um, we're at the tip, like we're at the beginning stages of that. And that's why it hasn't gone up as much as it has. Like, so we've got some developers that are coming in asking really high prices for their square footage per square foot for a, a brand new condo. Um, so that market just hasn't gotten a speed up yet, but it will in, in five to 10 years from now. If you buy condos today, you're going to, you're going to reap the benefits of it. But um, I, you know, it's just um, they're, they're going to start building a lot of condos in Hamilton. So you got to be very careful with that condo market. Uh, if there's too many condos, then, you know, it, for the resale on it, it'll be a little slower than, uh, than a detached and townhouses out there. Do we want the government doing more to try and cool the market in this area? Uh, you know, uh, in, in 2008, no, no, it was, when was the, the government in 2017? The market was already cooling down before the wind government was announcing uh, for foreign tax uh, buyers. So I remember on the 12th of April in 2017, I, I sent a message to my team to, to be very careful. Uh, that hot market was cooling down. And the reason why we know a bit about this, because we, we, we sell a fair amount of homes, so we, we have our pulse on the market uh, on a weekly, daily basis. But uh, the market was cooling down regardless uh, whether the wind government was announcing uh, regarding the foreign tax uh, that they were they were implementing uh, at, uh, after Easter in April of 2017, now they did put the stress test for the uh, mortgages um, that did uh, have an effect on the market. Um, the average person maybe wanted to buy a six hundred thousand dollar house. Now uh, you know the, they can't get one and they have to buy maybe a five hundred thousand dollar house or a four hundred fifty thousand dollar house. So they may not have gotten the, lug, the, the more of the luxury style or upgraded house that they really wanted to, so they may have to wait for that. It's Rob Golfie. You can hear him every Saturday morning here at 9 o'clock on 900 CHML, and you can see his signs up everywhere, and I'm sure you can find him if you want to if you're looking to buy a house. Uh, Rob, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. You too. Scott, have a good night. As I said right off the top, if you are someone who owns a house, these are glorious days for you. Just watching the value of your home just go through the roof. If you're someone trying to get into the market, my goodness, I've said this before, what a scary, difficult place to be right now because it is, it is, we're talking about housing prices, an average housing price in the city right now of $600,000. And that's not just Dundas and Ancaster and Stony Creek. That's that's almost $400,000 in East Hamilton and in the downtown of Hamilton. That, these are These are difficult days if you are trying to get yourself into the market. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Taxes are a lot of what we're talking about these days because we are trying seemingly to fight a battle for whether or not we are going to spend or save or cut or not cut or depending what side of the philosophical and political aisle you're on, this is a uh, this is a huge argument, huge debate, huge choice these days. Well, we're going to get into that, but I want to start here because the Ontario government announced in the last few days that it's going to be spending something like $89,000 to create a new logo for the province, the the trite, the, the trillium. Uh, up until now, we've had one that I thought was okay. At least I didn't, I didn't even realize we had the new one. I'm still stuck in my old days so much that I remember the one from way back. But anyway, the new one, as was pointed out now, looks like three men relaxing in a hot tub, which I hadn't really realized. But once you visualize that, you can't unvisualize it. So we kind of have to change it now, it seems. But anyway, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation decided $89,000 to build a new logo, to draw a new logo was a lot of money. It's not alone in that. It's a lot of money to draw a logo. So it found in the last couple of days, it found a website that does graphics, that does other logos. And for $10 a pop, actually, I think it was less than $10 a pop, came up with eight 
different possible Ontario logos, plus the old logo and a hot tub logo, which was just for fun. Uh, let me bring in Christine Van Gein, who's the Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Christine, thanks for doing this today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I don't know, 10 bucks. I thought some of those looked pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so we use the website Fiverr, which is a freelancing website, and you just go on, you uh, pick 10, we picked, I think, eight different graphic designers, or no, I think we picked nine, and we paid between 5 and $9 each. And we got a whole bunch of logos. I picked my favorite ones. Um, I also added a three guys in a hot tub logo in case. As you must. Uh, in case that really is the symbol of Ontario. I don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't know it was <laughs> until last week when the premier told everybody it was. Um, but just in case that's what we want to stick with, I made it even more hot tubby. And, uh, and then I threw in the old pre-2006 logo that we can use presumably for free instead of spending $89,000 on it. So uh, you can visit taxhair.com and check out our poll and vote in it and let us know um, if you like any of these logos. And if we do, we can save ourselves nearly $90,000. Well, I don't know who is making a living drawing logos for 10 bucks a pop, but whatever, it doesn't matter. The point is they're out there and you can get it done, which makes the eighty-nine dollars or $90,000 just seem ridiculous. Well, you know, whoever's doing it for 89000 you know, that sounds like a lot of money for, to me, especially since I just paid 10 people $10 a logo. Um, but it's actually significantly less than the last government paid for the hot tub logo, which cost over $200,000 when the Liberals redesigned that logo. Well, and, and um, don't forget the 2017 federal budget cover page that was, what, $215,000, something like that. So it's, yeah, it's like yeah. they have the money, so they say, hey, let's spend the money. At least that's the only interpretation I can think of. Yeah, and we had the Ontario Cannabis Store, which never even came into existence. They spent $650,000 on that logo. So, um, I mean, people are making a lot of money designing these logos for government when they really could be saving money. Um, as I think a lot of your viewers would, or listeners would agree with you, uh, I didn't even really realize we had this hot tub logo. I kind of confused the hot tub logo with the old logo from pre-2006. Most people don't really care a whole lot about government marketing exercises. So spending even $10 seems like a lot of money for this. But when you said um, 600000 like if we are going to reanimate Leonardo da Vinci and bring him back, I will pay $600,000 for him to do our logo. If you could do that, I'm okay with 600000 Otherwise, it, it just seems ridiculous. It really does. Yeah, and when you have a government that has a $13.5 billion deficit, when we have the kind of debt that we have in Ontario, we're the most indebted subnational government in the entire world, um, when we haven't balanced a budget in, in years besides the sort of fake balance that Kathleen Wynne had a few years ago. I mean, we have more important spending priorities than marketing exercises and, and logos. It's, it's, uh, the, the point of this is not to show that um, we should pick any of these logos that I bought off of Fiverr. It's just to show that, that this doesn't really matter to most people, that we'd rather spend the money on something else. And that you can do it so much cheaper that you don't need to spend these tens of thousands of dollars on branding. Well, let's get into that because I, I did want to jump to that from here because I think this was a jumping off one. I think it becomes a huge distraction for the Ford government because anybody who would be a critic who would not want to cut is going to look at this and say, see, you can they'll spend money wherever they want and they're not going to really be interested in cutting. But let's get to cutting for a minute because... Uh, this is a hugely contentious fight. We're swimming in debt. We all know that. We're, we're, as you just mentioned, we're way, way, way in deficit and in debt. And yet if you touch anything, if you touch education, if you touch healthcare, if you touch social services, if you touch transportation, any of these things are now being positioned as an attack. So are, are, is cutting things wrong if, if you are going to be hurting people, if you're going to be cutting essential services? Like where, how do we do this? Well, uh, so I, I actually have just written about this about the issue of, of, in particular, public sector labor costs. Public, public sector labor costs in Ontario represent about half of all program spending. Um, so there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of conversation right now about what we're going to be doing with teachers, if, if we're going to be firing teachers, which the government says we're not doing, but the school boards say they are. The government says what, that we're having teachers leave through attrition, just not replacing them because we've experienced declining enrollment in the province. Um, but the reality is, if we're going to focus on eliminating the deficit in this province, 
and, and paying down the debt, that is an impossible goal to pursue without addressing, addressing the issue of the biggest cost driver in the province, the largest single expense in the budget, which is the cost of bureaucratic salary. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking with Christine Van Gein from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we're talking about how do you go about trying to rein in or control or correct or cut or whatever word you want to use spending in Ontario when the reality is that no matter what you're going to do, you're going to have people who are saying that you are cutting, you're slashing, you're cutting, you're hurting. Christine, just before the break, you said, what was it, $72 billion in annual uh, salaries and pay for people that that that's where we really are you can't do anything without getting into that yeah so about half of program spending in Ontario is going towards uh, salaries for bureaucrats 72 billion dollars a year so how then if you if you are going to cut you, you know I know everybody listening knows that if you are going to cut people the argument is going to be you are going to hurt programs you're going to make things education is not going to be as good health is not going to be as good social services how do you go about doing that then so I guess there are two options you either reduce the size of the public sector by having fewer workers having them either leave through attrition um, or firing people the government said that they're not going to be firing people that they're going to let people leave through attrition. I mean, there's some debate about what is actually happening if people are being let go or if they're just um, if they're just not being replaced. Um, but that's that's for the politicians to fight about. The other way of, of dealing with it is um, not just reducing the size, but reducing the compensation levels. And last week, the Ministry of uh, the Treasury Board, um, Minister Peter Besson, filed the announced new consultations on government compensation. Um, because the government's looking at how they can manage salary growth in the uh, in the bureaucracy. So they're looking at a bunch of different options. Um, they first are going to do a consultation, um, but they have not ruled out uh, legislated wage caps. And I think that that's something that the government really needs to pursue. It's not something that is new. These are kinds of things that previous governments have done as well. Um, the the um, the wind government um, had had uh, proposed reductions of three thousand four hundred and fifteen hundred um, bureaucrats over three and two years in the two thousand nine and two thousand eleven budgets, and they also had implemented that net zeroing net zero bargaining framework, um, which meant that any time public sector workers uh, government bureaucrats were given a pay increase, um, there was a corresponding corresponding um, reduction in other spending in other areas. But you know, you know, you've probably heard this, but you know that if you were to propose this, that there should be either people let go or the public sector cut back or anything else, that it, they'll say, but Christine, if you have a child with autism or if you had a child with special needs or if you have a child in the education system or if you have a parent who needs health care, you wouldn't be so quick to propose this because it's going to hurt people. Yeah, I mean, this is this reality of having... Uh, fixed amount of revenue, right? What we what we don't want to do is increase the burden on taxpayers who are already overtaxed in this province. Um, and if you want to have a financially responsible government, you need a way of addressing public sector compensation. Um, because, you know, there have been a lot of studies that show that increasing wages for bureaucrats does not necessarily uh, correspond with better service um the better provision of service. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean you're getting more frontline workers. It means sometimes you're getting more middle managers or that those people are getting paid more. Um, And on average, um, we have seen that public sector workers earn high, uh, their, their wages go up faster than private sector workers and that they earn a large wage premium over private sector counterparts. I think in, in Ontario, the average private sector worker earns over $16,000 less a year than a, a government worker. Here's my proposal, because we know that I think politicians are in a large measure out of ideas, and we always hear that the people who work in the sectors know the sector better and how to find efficiencies and things like that. I have argued for a long time that take whatever sector you want, let's say healthcare, you get the major players, you put them in a conference room, you tell them, here is the amount of money that we have to spend on healthcare across the province. You come out of this conference room when you have figured out how to divvy it up between yourselves since you know better. And the problem is they would never come out. (laughs) 
I mean, each group is incentivized to spend their own their own budgets. I think that what one of the solutions is incentive pay. That was something that was proposed in the Drummond report. Um, one of the other alternatives is to get in, incentive pay could have the advantage of getting more productivity out of government bureaucrats or government workers um, than currently we're getting. Um, th- there are a lot of studies that show that government work is, is low productivity um, across the board. And if we have higher productivity levels, it means you need to employ fewer people to do the same amount of work. So anything that would improve productivity would also be a good a good uh, a stream to pursue. Christine Van Gein from the Taxpayers Federation of Canada. Always love having you on. Thanks for doing this today. Thanks for having me on. I Look, I, I know my idea will never fly. But I honestly think that it would be worth a try in some low-level area of government and say, look, I I agree with you that you know your area better than the politicians do who are coming and going. I absolutely agree with you. And the politicians, you know what, We, we here's the amount of money we have, so you go, all of you together, and figure out how that money is going to be divvied up, and we'll go with it. And we'll be okay with it because you're the experts. I don't expect that that will ever happen. A, because a politician would never want to relinquish the control. But B, I think that when it came right down to it, I don't think people in these public sectors would want to have to make those decisions that would potentially see some of their revenues be cut back. But I think, I think most people, even those very much opposed to cuts, probably would agree we are past the point of just being able to say, let's just keep throwing more money at it. We don't have more money, so we have to come up with some kind of creative solution. I just have no clue what it is, and clearly they don't either. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Don Robertson of the Dundas Real McCoys and Comp Choice Realty and... We always say this, a variety of other things about town, mostly mostly legal. (laughs) (laughs) Most of them we don't want to talk about. Uh, But also with him, he's here every Monday. Thanks for coming in, as always. And with him today is Jason Dalio, who is, if Don is with the Dundas Real McCoys, Jason is his equal, his cohort, whatever you want to call it, with the Hamilton Steelhawks of the... Senior A, Senior Triple A. I'm not even sure what they call it. It's Allen Cup Hockey now, but it's, I don't know if it's Senior A or Senior Triple A, but it's Senior Hockey in this province. And uh, Don, you have been given the, I was going to say given the finger to do the, the, the different, fa- you've been pointed at to give the announcement. So why don't you say why you're here and why Jason is here with you? Well, I'm here because I'm supposed to be here every That's Monday true. night. That's true. <clears throat> but um, we're fortunate enough um, that... The Allen Cup is coming to the Ontario Hockey Federation next year, and the Ontario Hockey Federation and the Ontario Hockey Association have granted uh, the Dundas Real McCoys and the Hamilton Steelhawks um, the hosting of uh, the 2020 Allen Cup. And the unique part about this is it's been a tournament format of six teams, and it's opening today. The first game started uh, an hour ago in Lacombe, Alberta, and uh, for the first time ever it will be co-hosted. And uh, I'll tell you, the it's, it's a lot of work. Um, it's quite a challenge. And I couldn't be happier to be uh, with the Real McCoys and co-hosting with the Hamilton Steelhawks. They've done a fabulous job their uh, first few years in the league. And it will afford us a tremendous opportunity to uh, from the Real McCoys to work with uh, Jason and George Roke, who own, uh, co-own the Hamilton Steelhawks. And we're excited because... There'll be great marketing opportunities, and it's a great uh, it's a great player recruitment thing. Uh, we found that out in 2014 when um, I forgot who won. I guess we won it in double overtime in front of a sold out <laughs> arena. I'd forgot that part, but it, it's it's fun. It's it's a great rallying point in the community, and I know our community will embrace it. And I know the uh, Hamilton Steelhawk fans will as well. Do you know what you're getting into, Jason? Um. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm actually really looking forward to it. Uh, it's part of the reason we got in the league. I was. Uh, I was fortunate to be around when Don and the Real McCoys were uh, hosting the Allen Cup in 2014. Uh, so you know, I uh, got to see what it took uh, at that time to run it, uh, as Don sort of led that group at the time, and uh, progressed to myself and my partner George Roke uh, putting in an, uh, a bid to uh, own a hockey team in the Hamilton Steelhawks and. 
So, uh, you know, our end goal was at some point to host a national championship here in the city. So how did this then come to be as a dual bid, as a combined bid? You go first, Jason. I mean, how, right. how did this come around? Uh, well, you know, uh, a couple years ago, um, the Kenora Thistles uh, up in Hockey uh, Hockey Can Hockey North, North. Um, they North. were t- they were to they were to host the Allen Cup, and uh, prior to the season starting, uh, their hockey club folded, and uh, that left an opening to host that year, and nobody really knew what was going to happen with the tournament, so. Uh, Don and I started talking about uh, the format that the World Juniors had with the World Juniors being in Toronto and Montreal. And the reason they did that was based on um, ticket sales and, and, and making sure that all the games were in prime time and, and good things for TV. And really, at the end of the day, the hockey fan. So as we started talking, we, we threw around the idea of you know co-hosting a tournament that would allow... Uh, both teams to host games in prime time. Uh, same concept for the fans. And so when we put a last minute bid together to try and, you know, bring that in, I think it was a bit too much to chew on maybe for the decision makers at Hockey Canada and it was awarded out east. Uh, so for the past couple of years, we've still been kicking around the idea of what would it look like if both organizations were to come together and combine resources to put on a host tournament in 2020 for the fans in both Hamilton and Dundas. And Don, part of it, Jason alludes to the tickets and the prime time. This is, a, this is not an inexpensive thing to put on. So you do have to sell some tickets. You do have to put some people in the building or else you're wearing it. No, we're screwed. Um, <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> well, yeah. No, no. We'll, uh, no, people have to come. I mean, we'll, we'll go and get them at their house and... And, uh, but the problem was, and Jason, and, and the only, when Jason and I were sitting around uh, one night talking about the Montreal and Toronto thing, and, and, and uh, I'd had, I don't know, five or six cups of tea, and then I started to lose my mind. So we thought it was a great idea. What we forgot about is the Montreal and Toronto are quite a ways apart. So we may not sell out both buildings every night. But when the Kenora thing come up, and because we have a history of it, we hosted in 2003, we hosted in uh, 2014, and Brantford hosted in 2008. And, and the real McCoys, we've traveled to a number of Allen Cups. We were in Fort St. John, British Columbia. We've been Steinbeck, Manitoba. And, you, wa- and, you know, because we're from out of town and we're not a local favorite, you play the afternoon games. So we would show up in, in uh, Fort St. <laughs> Fort St. John, British Columbia, and the building sold out. And our guys are going, holy cow. Right, so you go to Steinbach. But when you're in Steinbach, Manitoba, and you're in Fort St. John, British Columbia, you start realizing when you drive through town, there's absolutely nothing else to do there. And when you're in southern Ontario and the, and the there's greater... There's a few other options. There's all kinds of options. Some of them are the Toronto Blue Jays, although their attendance is not high. But, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of uh, uh, places to put your uh, disposable income, if you will. I mean, there's probably 15 junior teams within a 45-minute drive. So we can't create the same attention and interest for afternoon games. But we believe we can do far better at night. So I spoke to uh, Jeff and Bentley. He called me last Thursday night, and I asked him how their ticket sales were going. He said, I'm not sure if we can get to 1,000 packages. So they sell packages for $200 $250. And... He thinks they're going to sell a thousand packages. I mean, that would be absolutely wonderful. But a game in Lacombe, Alberta, and I'm going tomorrow. I'm going to guess that there's not a lot to do except go to a hockey game. So what we did is we thought we would be better off playing both games in prime time and giving people a choice. That's the problem. There'll be some cannibalization with respect to attendance. But I've talked to Jason because JL Greitmeyer is reopening. We're going to play on the Monday night, so we uh, Hamilton won't play on the Monday night. They'll play on the Tuesday, so we'll both have our own standalone crowds. It'll be unique, but it, let me tell you, our afternoon games in Dundas in 2014, we couldn't draw enough people to have a game of bridge. You know, it just there's just no interest, and people won't take the time off work to come to all the games. So if we're going to draw 150, 100 to 200 people in the afternoon, we know we're going to do far better at night. And uh, so we'll find out if we're right or we're wrong. We'll uh, we'll work hard on sponsorship. Jason's a, 
master at that with his experience at the Hamilton Bulldogs. So we'll rely on him a little bit. And we've got, uh, we have both built up a pretty sound uh, um, sponsorship base and, and we'll try and grow on that. And I think it'll be successful. But when Brent Lads talked to us, uh, when Kenora, and even this year, he was, he would still, Jason, I think you'd agree, prefer that there be one team to do it. And I said, well, Dundas won't. It's just too much work for our volunteer base to run two games a day, five days, and then you go to the Allen Cup. It's too much work. And then he asked Jason, and Jason's response is, well, if Dundas have done it before and they won't do it, why are you wishing this on me, right? So this is the format we've come up with, and we're excited. We think it's going to be successful. So one of the things, Jason, that is always going to help when you're trying to bring people in is a local team. So in the past it was Dundas. But there were times, Don, when you, in 2014, you also had Brantford there, I believe. Yes. Um, so, you, Jason, you now have the potential that you'll have Hamilton and Dundas and potentially Stony Creek or maybe Brantford or someone else. There's a chance half the teams here could actually bring people into the building. That will be a big help. Yeah. Um, I think if uh, the way it's set up is if Dundas or Hamilton doesn't win the league championship, whoever that league champion is, we'll have an opportunity to uh, get into the Allen Cup tournament. So uh, you're right. If we can have three local teams, it would create that much more of a buzz. I mean, two, I think, is going to be fantastic on its own. But if you add a third one, it's it's gravy. The chances then of one of you, at least, getting in deep in the playoffs is pretty good. So you still have rooting interest later on. I mean, because if both of you lose the first round, I'm not wishing this on you, but I mean... You're, so you're saying what happens then with the playoffs? This makes it very much more likely there's going to be somebody still in there. for To sell a local ticket. That's yeah. right. Yeah, for That's sure. Right. I mean, even, you know, look, we're not, uh, I think Dundas got beat out by Stony Creek, but I'm sure based us all being in the OHA, we wish the Stony Creek Generals the best, and we hope they represent the OHA and bring home the Allen Cup to us this year. So um, I don't hope that happens next year, but uh, <laughs> I do hope that that happens this year, speaking for Don, yeah. So how how is this going to work then? How is this going to work? Because, again, you've got two arenas going on. You talk about cannibalizing each other. Is there a chance then that you could both be playing at the exact same time, or are you going to try? Well, we will be. At some point, we will be. Or can you even work it with the schedule that when you talk about prime time, one's early, prime time, one's late, and you have a shuttle bus or 10 that take people from rink to rink, or what do you do? Well, you know, we we have to work on the ice time that we're allotted um, first. So we're in the process of doing that with the city of Hamilton. Um, and, and I'm sure they're going to give us all the options possible. But one of the things we're going to look at is, you know, maybe a 5.30 and an 8 o'clock game on the same night, um, you know, depending on, you know, schedules of, of ice time and, and availability. So there's still some logistics to work out, um, but we will get those things worked out and, and make sure that uh, uh, it's, it's in the best interest of the hockey fan. The buildings are only 15 minutes apart, right? So, so, so yeah. you, you, you can absolutely get there. So, and, and it'll be... I mean, it, it, it'll work out fine for the people that want to come to the games. They're going to cherry pick a little bit. But, you know, I, I've, uh, I've said this to anybody that would listen. Um, I, if we, in 2014, if we don't make it to the semifinals and play that primetime night game Friday night and basically in front of a standing room only crowd and then make it to the finals and fill the rink again, I'd have had to sell my house. Like, we, we would have lost thousands of dollars. I'm losing confidence here, Scott. <laughs> and I, um, I uh, well, sorry, one, one of us got to get to the finals. I, I'd, I'd like to have the same result in 2020 as 2014. I'm not sure that'll happen, but that's what I'm working for. Well, and so what's happened in 2003 you hosted, and that was a, you, through that, you were able to lure Rick Vive to join the team. Yeah. Most people remember him. Uh, in 2014, you had a few other guys. You had uh, Jay McKee and you had Jason Ward that people remember from the Bulldogs. Is that, now that you have the Allen Cup, is that enough of a lure that you start to find recognizable players that people may know and they start saying, yeah. now, these are senior players, just so people understand if they don't know. These are guys who are generally done most of their big earning parts of their career, and now if they want to keep playing, they keep playing. But are, are those guys, is that who you're going after now? What do you do for, at this point to try and make sure people know who they're going to come and see? Well, recognizable names. Um, um, Theo Peckham is a recognizable name to the Hamilton Steelhawk fans. He played for the Edmonton Oilers. Mike Moles made himself a recognizable figure. And what I have found, uh, and if Jason hasn't found it out yet, he, he's, he's about to find it out, that, that, that every time you go out four or five years from the last time, 
it makes it more and more difficult to sign Todd Harvey or Scott Walker. Those guys were personal friends. Uh, uh, Todd Harvey was uh, our coach's nephew, and I played ball with his dad. You know, but to every time you go out five years, these guys are now making that much more money. And when they retired, even if they're from Hamilton, Dave Anderchuk is a good example, lives in Florida. So these guys aren't around. So to get the Rick Vine, And they also made 50 million bucks. They may and not. I was going to say, and that's the problem. These guys are now multi-millionaires. So they really got to love the game to want to come back. McKee was great. Jason Ward was, I mean, very, he was very recognizable. He was a great draw. Um, but, you know, and Jason and I were talking, I said, if, if there was a guy that played 600 games in the National Hockey League in Phoenix, and he comes back here. He's not going to fill the rink. Rick Vive played for us. And the first, you would think that a guy that was a captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs scored 50 goals three years in a row. You'd put 2,000 people in jail, Greitmeyer Arena, when he signed. He put 350 people in that night, and the average attendance was only up 100. That's Rick Vive. So it doesn't work. you got to have a good hockey team, and I'm pretty confident um, that Dundas and Hamilton will both have excellent hockey teams next year. Um, the thing that it will do for us, um, this year, if we could have got the guys we signed, we'd have give Stony Creek all they could handle. They beat us once in overtime. They beat us in the last game 5-4, and they're defending Allen Cup champions. This year, when guys want to come, I'm going to say, this is how many games you're playing, or I'm going to move on to the next guy. Because we're not bringing in 12 guys just to play in the Allen Cup. We're going to entertain our fans throughout the year. The other stumbling block that made it difficult to get guys there, I mean, we had a, we ended up in last place this year, and I thought didn't have too bad a hockey team. But you got no hammer over them because we played a 24-game exhibition schedule because everybody made the playoffs. That shouldn't be the case next year. Do you share that philosophy, Jason, or do you look at it and say, yeah, we want to win, but we also want to have people who, when they come, they go, oh, that guy, I know that guy because I've seen him play somewhere before. Where, where do you fall on, on yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think um, somewhere in the middle there. Uh, I think that when you bring in a Theo Peckham, um, and it adds some credibility and legitimate, legitimate uh, status to your team, uh, to the league. Um, you know, he played six years for the Edmonton Oilers. He had a pretty good, uh, you know, pro career. And then people start saying, well, if Theo's playing, then you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll come and play it. But, you know, Don's right. I mean, we're, we're not getting, um, you know, Shane Doan, who just retired, to come and play for us. He's, it's just not going to happen. Uh, but guys that have played three, four, five hundred games. Although Ryan NHL, Smith, uh, former yeah. captain of the Oilers, he did play for the team out in Alberta until someone took a cheap shot at him. With his brother. Fair right? enough. So Fair there's enough. your relationship. Stony Plain is like, uh, is to Edmonton what Dundas is to Hamilton. So, and his brother played. And there was something else when you had, uh, when you had, I don't know about Vive, I mean, I don't know what, he, I can't remember his background, but certainly with Jay McKee and with Jason Ward last time, you were partly able to get them because these were guys that had never won a championship before. So That's you had something to offer beyond money for them because they had lots of money. There are, there, there are people out there that think I'm brilliant at recruiting hockey players and I'm going to let them carry on thinking that. But it's all who you know. We got Jason Ward because Jason Dalio introduced him to me. That was a good move, right? We went for lunch. <laughs> wasn't in the league. But oh, okay. Yes, yes, it wasn't right, in the though? league. Yeah, I. Uh, we know. didn't. We didn't pay him because we don't pay our players. You want. You have to want to play. And Jason had never won anything, and he wanted to win something, and he thought Hamilton was a great place to do it. Right. So for him, that was the key. The thing. The thing that gives credibility, legitimacy, and everything else to the program is what happens is if you bring a Theo Peckham in, you bring a, uh, a Rick Vive in, what they do is they come and then they see all the other good players that maybe have played in the American League or the East Coast League because for the most part, almost all the players in Dundas and Hamilton will probably have played some type of pro hockey or they won't be good enough to play in the team. There'll be some exceptions, but not a slew of them. There'll be some CIA guys and OUAA guys and CIS guys, rather. CIA not guys spies? Are, no, the <laughs> CIA guys are following Trump around. They're too busy. But though that will legitimize it, and then they'll, love, they'll fall in love with the product. And that's the key. We don't care why they come. We just want them to fall in love with what we're doing. Who gets, have you guys figured out yet, or is it an arm wrestle, or is it a, something else for who gets the championship game? 
Well, I think we're going to play that by ear, but Don said Hamilton, and I wasn't going to disagree with him. But I said, you know what, Don, maybe what we should do is let's just see who gets to the finals, and maybe we can decide, you know, whose building we're going to play in. Could you do that? Could you play it that loose as far as where the game is going to be if one of you made it? Honestly, because it would seem uh, to make sense. Well, I, I I would like to do that. I'd like to be able to talk to the city of Hamilton to have both rinks available flexibility-wise. We've got the ice. Yeah. So, and you know, when you buy your ticket packages, they're flex tickets. You could use them at either facility. Um, so, you know, I think that's not going to be an issue logistically on getting people through the doors. Um, and, you know, ideally in a perfect world, it's Hamilton hosting Dundas at the Dave Anderchuk Arena. Is that a perfect well, world? What I didn't tell Jason is he shouldn't drink before he comes in to do this. <laughs> he said he came from work, but now I'm questioning it. I think he's well, got vodka in his water bottle. Mm-hmm. So the Allen Cup 2020, so next year, Hamilton and Dundas, what are the dates of the tournament? April the uh, 6th through the 11th. So this time next year, exactly right. Yep. This, if this I'm going to, we're arm wrestling though, I want to arm wrestle Jason's wife, <laughs> not George Roke. George will dislocate my shoulder and throw me on the ground. Well, you know what? I'm not sure that he would do that. He's a nice guy. <laughs> it is uh, April 6th to 11, 2020. Uh, when will people, is there a website up? Will there be a website up? Is there going to be some way people can start to look for this? Where can they find information? All that kind of stuff. It's yep. going to be on Twitter. It's going to be on Facebook. It's on now. Um, as at seven ten when we started doing this, um, and we'll have a web website. Yeah, we'll have a website. Ticket packages. AllenCup twenty twenty dot com. And if you go to that website right now, you can uh, click a link that will send an email to put you on the waiting list for the ticket packages that will be available for sale on May first. Excellent, Jason Dalio, Don Robertson. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this today. Now you're still going to stick around. But we're yeah. just going to be talking about a few other things. But yeah, uh, for thanks sure. for doing this. Keep keep that in mind. If you're Thank you, if you are a local hockey fan, make a note of that somewhere in your calendar, April six to 11, 2020. And it sounds like you will have choices. Whoever you like, whoever's team you like better, you can go watch them. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson and uh, Jason Dalio, owners of the Dundas Real McCoys and Hamilton Steel Hawks. Steelhawks, you got it. You know, I have gotten that wrong so many times. Oh, no. No, no. I mean, just when I'm saying it, it's like, wait a second, is it Steelhawks or Steelheads? Because the stupid, Mississauga. when you have the Steelheads, yeah, yeah. well, we had Steelheads here, though, for a while, too, didn't we? Well, At one that point? was a movie, I think. That's uh, right. That was the TV movie. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I knew that we're here. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. They were here. Whatever it was called. Oh, no, yeah. what, was, what was that? Anyway. Yeah. It has forever ruined my brain now. I don't I think either of us should remember that TV show. but That was a horrible TV show. It was. It was, but it was here. And it was hockey. And they also had that figure skating show called The Cutting Edge, that movie that was filmed here. It's true. And I had friends who decided they were going to be uh, extras one day, and they went to the rink when they said they needed extras. And all of a sudden, we went to the movie just to see if they got on, because we didn't care about the movie. And like five minutes in, their entire head took up the 45-foot <laughs> screen. And we left after that almost. Yeah. It didn't need to. Uh, Jason Dalio, though, is the owner of Hamilton Steel Hawks. Don is the owner of the Dundas Real McCoys. If you missed it, they just announced before the break that Hamilton and Dundas will be sharing the 2020 Allen Cup. So you can, uh, what was the website again? Uh, AllenCup2020.com. Pretty easy to remember that one. Clever, huh? Very clever. Yeah. <laughs> there was news today, you two, that... Um, and I don't know if this is going to tie in and help or hurt or make no difference whatsoever, but Jason, there was news today that the Ontario government is going to allow tailgating now in the province of Ontario. Not really sure still what that means as far as how it looks. I know what tailgating is. Is that something that for for that you think for you guys or for the Ticats or for the Bulldogs or for any other local teams, is that something that's going to make a difference? I think the Ticats, it can. Um I think football and tailgating go hand in hand. I'm not sure hockey where? and tailgating. Well, I'm not sure where for the Ticats. That would be the only thing. Oh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, you know, if you go down to Detroit, um, there's no big parking lots down there. They designate certain areas and they set up, you know, tailgating areas. So you'd have to find something like that in Hamilton of existing parking lots to, to do so in. 
What is at the now? I know that the like the Enderchuck Arena has parking out back. There mm-hmm. is you guys potentially theoretically could do that. I suppose. I mean, you play in the winter mostly, but when Allen Cup rolls around, you can yeah, do that. It's this season. It's this time. I mean, you could put a big beer tent or something out like that. Uh, you know, bring your hibachi and away you go. Sure. I mean, you could do something like that, but it might hurt some beer sales on the inside. Where we're hoping the tailgating doesn't doesn't come into the Enderchuck Arena, but. What about you, Don? Because I, I don't know what the parking is going to be at the new Greitmire. I don't know. I don't know how much they've cut into it, if at all. Well, we can't afford to give any uh, away. I mean, we don't have a lot of parking spots, so you can't afford to give a lot of parking away. But the forecourt, if that's what uh, the new but name. But if someone of these just pulls is. their car in, parks it in the back, and opens the trunk and pops out a hibachi, and they all just sit around and have a barbecue and a beer, is that, would that be? Can you see that being beneficial in any way to drawing people to games? Well, it's been working so far. Do they do that already? Well, they won't be the first beer that's been had no. in the parking lot of a hockey arena. But no, I understand your point. I think what we would do, and and the Allen Cup, and and as Jason pointed out, the Ticats play in the summertime. We play in February and January. So, if you're going to tailgate, probably a real good idea would be to arrive hammered. So you could stand outside and have one more because it's going to be really, really cold. So I don't see it uh, with hockey as much as, I mean, anybody that's been to a Buffalo Bills game, they must have 30 acres of parking there. And there's football games going on, and it's great in October and people November. People lighting tables on fire I mean, and it jumping is, off Winnebago's onto them. And Yeah, they, yeah the people that are against this could have some spectacular YouTube pics out of what goes on. But I, I was lucky enough to be in San Diego when um, Doug Flutie played, actually, for the Bills. And it was gorgeous there. And they've got a monster parking lot. So the NFL team seemed to have built around that. Had a bit more foresight been put into where the stadium is instead of rebuilding at Iverwind Stadium, I'll never get off that horse. I'm going to beat that horse till it's to a pulp. If they'd have put it down by the waterfront where it should have went, then you could have had a parking area. You could like the the Leafs have got and the Raptors have got a big area in front of the Air Canada Center. But it's but that's that you can't tailgate there. You're not going to drag your no, barbecue for three kilometers. No, and they're selling there. beer there. The yeah. only the only sports team I think it works at around here is probably the Toronto FC because they're at the CNE Stadium. Well, and the they've Argos got lots there. of Argos parking. Too. The Argos too yeah. might be a reason to go for the Argos. See, that's what that was really the question because uh, to me, uh, uh, tailgating is one of those things that I think it lures a lot of people who may not be diehard fans of the team, but you just are going to have a good time with your buddies. And so, you know, I'll go to the game because we're, it's all part of a full day package. Then, and that's why I'm I'm saying I I think it could have an effect. The problem is around here, and you touch on it. There's not many places to do it. Here. No, the stadiums weren't built for it. I like I like the creativity to uh, uh, of the uh, Ford government. You know, they're going to get a little wood in the ball once in a while, and and I think they have on this one. I remember when Mike Harris was elected premier, the former golf pro um, said we're going to treat everybody like adults and let them buy a beer from the golf course. So g- golf carts, and you could buy beer in a golf cor- course, and beer in a golf course was synonymous. You just had to put it in your bag and take it with you. And he said, why don't we let the guys that own the golf course sell the beer? So, hence you can buy a chocolate bar and a beer on the golf course. And golf hasn't turned into any rowdy sport or anything else. It's very civilized and so on. So, it, I, I think it'll have an effect. I don't know how impactful it will be in a lot of places. Jason, if you, and again, you own a team that plays mostly in the winter, but if you owned a team that played in nicer weather, is this something you would latch on to as something that you think you could use to get people to come or is it something you would try to run from and turn down because as you said a moment ago you want people drinking the beer and eating the food in your venue well i mean i I think it's a whole marketing aspect behind it Uh, if you promote it right um and you have designated areas where you can set that up uh i think it works well and and yeah i mean i'm kidding i mean of course we want to sell beer at, at any game that you go to um, because it's a source of revenue, but um, those guys that are drinking in the parking lot, they're not stopping once they get inside. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's really they not going to be a deterrent. They have thirst. No, no, of course not. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's how a league or how a team or how a city embraces it and, you know, set up designated areas. I know the Ticats at one point had the old Scott Park uh, area designated as tailgates, but, you know, they had 
maybe too much security and it just sort of didn't take off. It can't be off. corporate. Yeah, right. It's, it's got to it's be marketed to, but really not. Like if you go to a Buffalo Bills game, um, you know, those are huge parking lots. And, you know, sure, does it get a little bit out of control? It seems to, guys smashing tables and stuff like that. But, you know, I've been to games. You just walk straight up. There's no police in the parking lot, but they're all surrounding the stadium. And people walk up to the front doors with their can of beer or uh, whatever they have, and they, they finish it and they put it in a nice, neat pile that the stadium then collects all the cans and all the recyclables and takes them and gets paid for them. So, you know, there's another source of revenue outside of selling them the beer on the inside. Let them drink on the outside, take the cans, and go sell them. We could likely run the real McCoys on the returns from the empties in those <laughs> games. See, the interesting thing is, though, that when you introduce something like that, and for MLSE, for example, they control the revenue streams. They control the beer sales in the building. They control the concessions. So when you're paying $7 for a $1.50 hot dog, they like that profit margin. It'll be interesting to see how they embrace it by virtue of saying, why don't you guys bring your own beer and have four or five beers in the parking lot, barbecue some hamburgs, have a great time, come on in and not buy anything. But see, I don't think MLSE needs this. MLSE, all their facilities you got the Raptors and the Leafs in a 17,000-seat or 18,000-seat arena that are, that's always full. You've got TFC that's in a 30,000-seat stadium that is almost always close to full. And, and whatever else they have. What else they have? The Argos now. Do they have the Argos? <clears throat> they so have the Argos. Argos. So, so that, the... that may be the one. Yeah. That may be the one. But and when you're talking about when you go for a $7 hot dog or something, they I'm sure MLSEC sees no need to incorporate tailgating into a Leafs or Raptors game. No, and, no need. And you know how long i say been saying, and I say it all the time, when you wonder what these teams are thinking about, they're thinking about the money. And it's always about revenue, and there isn't a chance they're going to want to give up a dime of it. But let's take the lease out for a second. So you've got Toronto that could sell out. How many How many Air Canada, Scotiabank places could sell out if the, if the tickets were available? I mean, if they if they lower the tickets to 50 bucks a ticket, they could fill it five times over every game? Oh, for sure they could. At least. So the, the sure. demand is there. I, I don't but, even know they had got to lower the ticket price, Scott. Well, for, for the expensive ones, not everybody can yeah. afford a four or $500 ticket. But now look at the Carolina Hurricanes or the Florida Panthers. Yeah. You could see tailgating for them could be a huge boon. Yeah, but they, they do it now. They do it. Be, and why do they do it? Because that's a way to draw people to the stadium, to the yeah. arena, to then come in and watch the game. Because they don't have the same demand. The and it's have. the American way. Yeah, that's their culture, right? Like that they're is. they're used to it. And it, and in Florida and Carolina, last time I checked, it's a whole lot warmer there in January and February. That is, than true it is too. up here. I went to Game Seven uh, when Edmonton and and Carolina played, and I flew down Game Day, and I went from the airport. Right to the arena in a cab. I missed the first seven minutes of the game. And when I, when the cab pulled up front of the arena, I don't know how big the area was. There was a band there. There were huge, three or four huge screens, and everybody was tailgating and partying in the forecourt. It had to be a five-acre area that was full, and it was absolutely wonderful. But that's their mindset. That's how they go, go to sporting events. Yep. Yeah, we're, we may have to learn how to do it, but I don't see it. I just don't see it having a huge impact in Hamilton per se because we just don't have the the places to do it. Well, you know, um, I, I know it's it's hockey again, hockey reference, but uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning have Thunder Alley. Um, so out front, uh, just a, a big giant area with screens everywhere. They have bands out front and tailgating in this giant opening that people show up two hours before the game starts before the doors even open so you know if the tie cats uh would to, were to do something like that they probably have to block off you know balsam street or, or something but you you could set up a similar atmosphere so it's not really tailgating it's a street party it's which a, is because nashville does the same in the yeah, playoffs you, nashville downtown would, all the bars and everything and, and you know you think about it the tie cats have what eight, eight home games eight regular season home games to organize those types of street parties um, if they still need to sell tickets, I'm not sure if they do or not, um, but I'm sure there's some single game tickets available for the season that they gotta they gotta get out there. But um, that could be one way that they could do it. It would be an interesting way if you closed all the streets. I mean, you probably couldn't do uh, Cannon. Is it no, Cannon? but you gotta but you have... could do all the other three. Sure, and close them all down and just make it a a, a, a precinct street party, and you can sure. walk around with your can of beer or whatever else. And th- that would be an interesting way to do it. I, I think people do already. You know who um, would love that? Who? 
the neighbors who now could sell $5 beers to people without telling anyone, make their own little profit. $15 includes your parking spot and two beers. Yeah, they're, they're getting $12 a square inch for the parking now. Yeah. yeah, well. Eight times a year. I don't know if they, I don't know if the new tailgating rule will allow for private citizens to be selling liquor to uh, passersby, but you know, Blue in time, beers. in time. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Jason Dalio, Don Robertson in studio from the Hamilton Steelhawks and Dundas Real McCoys. Playoffs for the other and the other hockey league, the one that you guys uh, are not quite competing with, but give it time. Um, the NHL start on Wednesday. The Leafs start on Thursday. Here's your question. Both of you guys have been now involved in the administrative and hockey side of a league. Mike Babcock has lost seven of his last eight series. Greatest coach in hockey, based on salary, has lost seven of his last eight series, hasn't won a series with the Leafs. If he does not win and the Leafs do not win against the Boston Bruins, what, Jason, are the is the percentage in your mind that the Leafs actually would look at making a change at coach? I, I don't think they will. I think uh, <clears throat> I think when you go out and you spend that money and you go bring that coach in, um, I think they will not blame it on the coach. I think they will look to um, talk about adding support to the cast that's already there. To me, it's a very strong uh, uh, cast and supporting cast. I mean, you got Nazem Kadri on your third line. Um, you know, that's he three years ago. He was your on your first line. So, I but mean, there's the, <clears throat> they got fewer points this year than they did last year with a much better team. Yeah, presumably. Yeah. Presumably, I think they had some goaltending issues. Um, uh, there's some some bumps in the road there, but yeah, I I don't think that they'll wear the egg on their face and and get rid of him. I think they should, uh, but I don't know that they will. Don, do you think they should fire Mike Babcock if they don't beat Boston? Um, I I don't think that uh, the players are are playing for him. I I. That's my personal opinion there. The last two or three months, they have looked like a very disinterested team. Now, maybe they're maybe right. because they locked up a playoff spot and they knew who they were going to play against for the last two months. They've but really they didn't have to play against Boston. If they hadn't wet the bed, they'd have been fine. Well, they would have never caught Tampa. No, but they might not have had to play Boston in the first round. I mean, they were within four points and then proceeded to win about two of their next eight. Yep. Right. I mean. They, they, they may have known they were going to play Boston. They could have at least leapfrogged them. If had they had not have won the last, the second last game, the Saturday night game against Montreal might have been for a playoff spot. Yeah, or if they had blown that first game against, or not come back against Montreal two or three weeks ago. And so my way of thinking is uh, using Jason's rationale is if Nazem Kadri was your first line center three years ago, and he's your now your third line center. That's not the general manager's fault. They have a, an abundance of talent. They went game seven with uh, Boston last year, and they're a better hockey club now than they were last year, personnel wise. Like they've got they got Muzzin on defense. Uh, Riley is a premier defenseman in the National Hockey League now, one of the top twenty defensemen in the National Hockey League. They are a far better hockey team. There should be absolutely no expectation other than they can advance past them. So your point is, I think, very valid. If Mike Babcock doesn't get him past the Boston Bruins, it's not the general manager's fault. There's lots of talent. Yep. And who who walks the plank when you don't win? Well, not usually a coach who's got four years left on his contract for big money. That's that's where the question comes, but it is the Leafs. They have the ability to do it. And they have a guy in their minor, Sheldon Keefe, who's a highly regarded coach that some other teams are probably going to come after. So if you want to keep him, do you have to decide to do it now and cut the ties with Babcock? I don't, I don't know that they would have the guts to do it. That's the thing. Yeah. One thing Babcock... Uh, um, well, the general manager didn't hire him. Let's start with that. But the president did. Yes, he did. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Yeah, he, he does have some sway there. But if you look at um, some of the things that, that they've tried to accomplish, and it hasn't worked. Like, and Quenville's gone. And, but boy, that would be a – Sheldon Keith might be a good National Hockey League coach. But I'll tell you, to go from the American League to the Toronto Maple Leafs is a big step. And – for Kyle Dubas to fire Mike Babcock. And I'll tell you, Mike Babcock did not do any 
himself any favors. I mean, he's, I don't know the man, but he he's not shy and lacking confidence. And when he, and when they trade for Muslim and he says, we needed a right-handed defenseman. Yeah, but it's not perfect, but we'll deal with it. That That's was, not a ringing endorsement to your general manager that just upgraded your defense. Then your coach basically says, well, that's not what I wanted, and that's not what we need, but all right, I'll play him. But not even play him a lot, Jason. I mean, oh. he, he, this is this is, this is is the reason why I do wonder about Babcock is because you got Austin Matthews that didn't look like he was happy with him last year. you got Muzzin that doesn't look like he's getting played much. You've got a bunch of other things that you wonder if the Leafs brass are saying, this is not the team that we thought we had. Well, even when you look at last year in the playoffs with the Leafs and Matthews, how many... Th- he he played less in the playoffs than he did in the regular season. And, you know, that's a relation to, you know, Babcock's controlling the bench. So, you know, I I don't know. When you got the best player on your hockey team sitting on the bench and you're down in a game, I'm not sure why you don't put him out there. Teams that win in the Stanley Cup playoffs, their premium players play a ton. Half the game when they need to. You watch what the Boston Bruins do with their big line. Yeah, they'll be out there. They will be out there. I, I don't know. I don't I don't know that the Leafs have the guts to do it, but it wouldn't absolutely floor me if they did, if they yeah. lose, if they lose. And if they win, then Mike Babcock's the greatest coach in NHL history, and, you know, on we go. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. we got to run in just a moment here. Uh, Jason Dalio from the Hamilton Steelhawks, Don Robertson from the Dundas Real McCoys, thank you for being in here today. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Uh, once again, April 6 to 11 next year. Put it on a calendar for next year. The Allen Cup Senior Hockey Championship for Canada, which is the what is the longest continuously awarded hockey championship in Canada. Is that correct? Yeah, since 1909. Uh, that'll be in Hamilton and Dundas. First time it's been hosted by two different teams, two different organizations at the same time. Allen Cup 2020. I learned it. .com. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.